Welcome to the Cambridge Tech Podcast, talking all things technology from the heart of the UK's tech capital. Here are your hosts, Faye Holland and James Parton. I'm Faye. And I'm James. Joining us today is Dan Clark. He's been responsible for Smart Cambridge initiatives for over 12 years and has just taken a new role as Head of Technology and Innovation at Greater Cambridge Partnership. It's going to be a really interesting episode exploring how the public sector sees and adopts new technology. Dan, hi. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's our pleasure. Um, So we're going to talk about your role and what you're doing. But before we start, there's, you know, 15% of the audience is in Cambridge and everyone else is elsewhere. So can you just give like a very short explanation of, of GCP without getting into the complexities of our system in, in, in Cambridgeshire? Yes, yeah, certainly. So the Greater Cambridge Partnership was to was set up to deliver the city deal for Cambridge, which is a five hundred million pound central government funding pot. It's made up of three councils, so that's Cambridgeshire County Council, Cambridgeshire City Council, and South Cambridgeshire District Council, and also involves the University of Cambridge and the Business Board, which is part of the Cambridgeshire and Peterborough Combined Authority. So as you can see, we're rich in governance in this in this area. So uh, we're delivering a program that supports growth in the area. Uh, Cambridge is predicted to grow significantly over the next few years. We've got big new developments outside of Cambridge at North Stowe, uh, Water Beach, uh, Cambridge East, which is the airport site. And all of that is going to put significant pressure on our infrastructure. So we need to do something to stop our roads becoming clogged and congested, to improve air quality and to make sure that the infrastructure is in place to support all those people and to make sure that everyone has a really great quality of life. Prof, that was was very well done. Um, So before we move on again, the GCP isn't just about transport. I know we're going to be talking quite a lot about that in Smart City now, but actually we don't talk very often about skills and broadband, which is actually when we first met, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So there is a Connecting Cambridgeshire programme that was set up to improve connectivity across the county. Uh, We work very closely with them. They're looking at fixed broadband, um, improving 4G coverage, which still isn't, you know, that great in areas of the county. Do you remember when we did Cam's Not Spotter? I do. How many years ago was that? Like eight years ago or something? Uh, And I think if we did it again, we'd still see Not Spots all over the county. Should we do it? Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, let's not. Um, and then also we're, we're supporting industry in deploying 5G. Uh, there are some significant issues with deploying, particularly in the city, um, using our lighting columns to put small cells on. So trying to overcome some of those barriers to deployments so that we've got good uh, 5G coverage. And of course, skills is really important and the GCP is working with Form the Future to make sure that Cambridge has the right skills for the, the kind of businesses that we've got in the area. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. So let's talk about you now. You just had a promotion, I believe. So I'm now working for the Greater Cambridge Partnership, uh, which before I was working for the Greater Cambridge Partnership, but in a different uh, part of the organisation. So I'm the head of innovation and technology. What does that actually mean? What are you, what are you doing? What's your what's your starting task? What's your what's your hundred day plan? So so uh, we've been working in this area for some years. In in fact pretty much from when the uh, GCP was first formed. But I've come in with a, a real focus on how we can 
use the city as a test bed, get innovators and businesses, both from Cambridge and, and the wider kind of area, to come in and help us to solve some of our challenges um, and to be able to access some of the academic research that's going on within the university. So, you know, one of the reasons why we first set up was, look, you know, there's all this amazing stuff that's happening in Cambridge that could help us solve some of these challenges. But actually, they go away, they go to other cities, they go abroad, and they, and they tr test and trial those technologies there. They don't use Cambridge. So one of the things that um, I've done is I've put together something called an innovation prospectus, which kind of sets out how we work with businesses, what our challenges are, and we're going to go out and promote that and say, look, come and work with us, help us to solve our challenges. Um, what's in it for businesses and people in academia is that you get to use the city as a test bed. We'll work really closely with you so they help you understand what are the big challenges that cities face also help you navigate things like public sector procurement processes, which are really complicated, uh, help them build business cases so that they can use Cambridge as a springboard to scale across other cities. We get to really understand what the technologies are and how they can help us. And then we may go on and scale them within the city and deploy them. I guess it's starting to make sense why you've come on the Cambridge Tech Podcast. We're already starting to talk about the role of technology in Cambridge moving forward as a city. Do you have a tech background? You know, have you had to immerse yourself in all of these new technologies to to perform this role? So, so no. Uh, my background is in kind of development and new development. So, I, many years ago, I came out of the civil service. I was in London, back to Cambridge because I was originally born in Cambridge. And got a, a, a job working with an organisation called Cambridgeshire Horizons, working on all the growth sites around uh, Cambridge. Was involved in some really interesting projects around renewable energy and transport and began to see that there were these emerging technologies that could really help transform the way that we delivered the, that kind of infrastructure and services um, and support development within the area. Became really interested in that area and, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I've got a deep my expertise, but I understand broadly, you know, the possibilities of technology. What I do really understand is cities, you know, rural areas, infrastructure, transport, and then bring those two things together to understand how technology can help us to deliver those, you know, infrastructure and services better in those areas. So I see my role as a kind of interpreting, taking, yeah. you know, really technical things and companies that are doing really technical things and then kind of working out how we could use that within the area. Now that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so why don't we um, why don't we start then with transport? Faye already mentioned transport as a big kind of topic. I think anyone living in Cambridge would probably agree with you. Um, so there's been some social media activity around autonomous vehicles. I believe there might be a pilot in the in the in the near future. Is that true? It, indeed, there will be. So uh, we've been interested in autonomous vehicles as part of the public transport system for some time now. So in 2016, we did an initial study, and that was kind of predicated on look, you know, we've got the guided busway. It's a segregated corridor. It's the ideal place to start testing autonomous vehicles. Um, so we did a study that looked at whether we could do that, and that kind of said yes, that it was the perfect place to do it. We got some central government funding, and we worked both on the guided busway, looking at the possibilities there. Um, but then we worked with the Wellcome Trust as well. So the Wellcome Trust is quite near to Whittlesford Parkway Station. Um, but I think at the time, only about 3% of people who worked on that campus actually used the train to get in. And that's because it's really hard to get from the station to the campus. 
So they wanted to build a segregated pathway and have on-demand vehicles uh, that could, you know, trundle down, pick people up and take them up onto the campus, which hasn't happened yet. But, we, you know, we did the kind of base study to say, yes, that, that's definitely a possibility. Actually, the thing that's stopping that from happening is a bit of land ownership stuff around network rail. But, you know, there is the possibility to do that. Um, on the back of that, we did a pilot on West Cambridge with a company called Arigo. We ran three vehicles for, it was a period of two months that picked people up uh, in Maddingley Park and Wright, took them into West Cambridge and kind of dropped them off. Uh, that was meant to be a much bigger project, but unfortunately because of COVID, we couldn't fit as many people in the vehicles. We didn't have as many vehicles and all that good stuff. But what it was, it was really successful. We saw that autonomous vehicles could run as part of the transport system in mixed traffic. So we were mixing with cyclists, cars, scooters, um, and the, the, the vehicles operated in the way that we would expect them to. We're now scaling up. So we've got uh, £8 million worth of government funding and then industrial uh, match funding, which takes it to about £17.5 million. We're working with a company called Canigital, who'll be providing the vehicles and the autonomy stack. Uh, we'll be running from Maddingley Park and Ride into West Cambridge, and then we'll also be running from Trumpington Park and Ride and Bayburn Park and Ride into the biomedical campus. Uh, we're working with Stagecoach, so really important that we've got Stagecoach on board. They'll be helping us to develop the operational and commercial cases. Because this is government funding for innovation, the, the, you know, what we're really trying to do is prove out the commercial case so that a company like Stagecoach at the end of this will say, actually, you know, there is a commercial case for deployment, and then we'll scale or at least you know, keep the deployment going. What we don't want to do is do a trial and then it kind of finishes uh, at, at the end. Um, obviously, safety is really important. So the first year, we'll be doing a lot of safety work, a lot of testing, um, both in a virtual environment and in a real environment. So we've got a company called DRISC and a company called IPG, who build effectively a digital twin of those areas. And then they run vehicles in a virtual environment. They do things like testing edge cases um, to make sure that the autonomy is working as we would expect it to. We're working very closely with government. So government have a safety scheme called CAFPAS that we'll be working with. And there's also a body called Zenzik, which is the kind of UK uh, autonomous vehicle body that's promoting autonomy uh, for the UK at, uh, overseas and working with businesses to you know help them kind of grow. So we'll work with, with Zenzik as well. So the key thing for us is that it operates safely, that we've got in place a framework that we can assess the kind of operational commercial cases. It'll start running next year, hopefully. So that'll be March, April 2024. Then it'll run for a year and we'll have 13 vehicles in total. And that'll be a mixture of different sizes of vehicles. Okay, as well. yeah, that was going to be my supplementary question. Can you uh, describe the vehicle, you know, in terms of size, number of passengers, what, what that kind of looks like? And does that, you were saying it operates within mixed traffic environments. So yeah. are they actually going down the main roads or, or pavements or you mentioned the guided busway just to get some clarity on exactly where they're going to be operating on, on what routes they're going to be on? Yeah, sure. So actually we've moved away from the guided busway because I think we proved that, you know, we can run in mixed traffic. Right. There's going to be a mixture of vehicles. What exactly that mix is, we're, we're kind of, you know, nailing down at the moment as the vehicles are being bought, but it's likely to be between eight seats, so a smaller vehicle up to kind of 20 seats, so a, a smaller kind of bus, a yeah. minibus. We've been guided by Stagecoach on particularly the, the kind of bigger size of bus because of the, the kind of commercial aspects of that. We will be running in 
mixed traffic. You know, we've been talking to Stagecoach effectively about you know what, how will they run, how will they integrate with the current uh, yeah. system. So we won't be taking any buses off the road. We'll be adding into the system. We're looking at how you book and pay, and you know how how kind of customers will use that uh, system. So yes, it will run on the road initially with a safety driver. So we'll have somebody who will be able to take over immediately if something happens. Um, once we're confident that that's running properly, we'll be moving to a remote operator. So initially one-to-one. -one. So that's somebody who effectively has a, a rig which uh, mirrors what's happening in the vehicle. And then towards the end of the project, we hope to get down to about one to five. So one operator for five vehicles. And we'll be working with government on the kind of legislative frameworks that we run in. So at the moment, it's actually illegal to run completely autonomously. Government is looking at the legislative framework and they're hoping to change that. And if they do, then obviously we'll, we'll look to leap to full autonomy at, at some point, whether in this trial or beyond it. It's really interesting because, you know, we've got to get people out, certainly in the city centre, we've got to get people out of the private cars and we have to do that for the environment um, as well, um, for sure. So how do you see that? Do you, do you have any views of what the future mix is likely to be? So I think initially we'll see these vehicles operating on kind of edge cases, so um, overnight on demand. So if you look at the biomedical campus, it's a 24-hour operation. At the moment, buses finish at, I don't know, 11, 12. You know, but there are people coming on and off that site all the time. So actually, can we extend the operating hours that it's 24-7? Uh, that will be on demand, so it won't be buses just like running around. You'll be able to go, call up a bus, it'll come to you and then take you either to a park and ride or eventually to kind of wherever you want to go. Um, we also have seen these operate on campuses. Um, when you look at some of the deployments across the world, campuses seem to be kind of one of the favourite use cases. So you can imagine a big site like Addenbrooke's having something that just kind of trundles around and picks people up. You know, it could be quite advantageous. Um, there are other kind of use cases that stagecoaches testing one is that actually if the driver doesn't have to drive could they become you know a kind of a customer care person help people with disabilities get on and off the bus um you know th there's a whole range of kind of activities that they kind of perceive those people doing um so but i think the work that we're doing is really testing some of those cases to actually see you know whether there is there is a role for these vehicles or whether there isn't. I think that's really important. You know, we might get to the end of it, there's no commercial case, and actually we think, well, you know, you might as well just have a driver, so what, what's the point? And at that point, you know, they may not commercially be taken up, but actually we do think that there is a definitely a commercial case for them. Stagecoach are really interested in this technology. They're involved in three of the projects, so they're involved in ours. They're involved in one in Sunderland. And then they've just last week started running a full-size bus across the fourth bridge, which is fully autonomous. Well, it's got a safety driver, but fully autonomous as well. So we think that it will start off with edge cases and then um, where it'll go from there, we don't know. But I think there's some really exciting opportunities. So um, you're lowering the cost of operating the vehicle by not having a driver in. Um, you are, you know, by being electric, that again lowers the cost of operating the vehicle. And because they're so highly instrumented, that does lower the cost of ongoing maintenance of the vehicles. 
um, which is another kind of use case that Stagecoach are really interested in. So do they then become uh, commercially viable to run in rural areas? So at the moment, bus services aren't you know, commercially viable for, for many rural areas and they don't have bus services. Actually, if we can make it cheap enough for these vehicles to run and they're on demand and people can kind of, you know, call them up and um, into rural areas, could we begin to deploy them as part of a kind of a network of vehicles in a rural area? I think that's kind of really exciting. Yeah, that's that's fascinating stuff. So you gave a couple of examples of different locations then doing autonomous vehicle trials and, and activities. Is everyone around the UK or globally doing slightly different things is the first bit of the question. And then the second bit of the question is, do you all get together and share best practices? You know, how can we expedite this so it's not just Cambridge trying to do it on its own? There are a number of different trials that are happening in the UK at the moment. Our trial is very similar to one in Sunderland. So Sunderland will be running a vehicle in their kind of city centre. I think it's linking up um, a two campuses so they'll be running on roads very much like like we will be um, but there are a number of different uh, use cases uh, Nissan uh, will be running a an autonomous kind of um, cab that will be shuttling um, parts from one place to another on their site in Belfast they're going to be running in a private kind of area it's it's in uh, Harland or I think it's the docks um, the dock area they'll be running Coventry will be running in the NEC and I think they've got uh, uh, plans to expand that out and onto the road network. So they're all very similar. Generally, they're, they're around passenger transport, but there are some that are looking at, at kind of logistics. Oxfordshire are running at the moment a, as part of the public transport system at Didcot. There are many examples across Europe, uh, which are very similar to ours, either on campuses or linking you know, city centres to campuses. There's one in Rotterdam, which has been running for 15 years. It's on a segregated kind of way. So, but it does show that, you know, that yes, some of the applications of this technology are new, but actually, you know, it has been running in, in various parts of, the, the, of Europe and the world um, safely. How are you thinking about the public safety education side of things? Anyone that's driven in Cambridge will know that uh, it can be interesting with the amount of cyclists flying around <laughs> coming at you from all directions. So it's going to be quite a challenging environment for an autonomous vehicle. So I guess there's a need to educate citizens in terms of maybe behaviour around these kinds of vehicles to avoid any uh, mishaps. Absolutely. So, it, you know, I talked about safety earlier, and obviously there'll be a lot of testing in that virtual environment, uh, you know, around kind of how you deal with cyclist scooters, because they don't behave as, you know, you know, at least a car, you know that it's going to stay on the, on, the, on the road, whereas cyclists, you know, come from all over the place, as do people on scooters. Um, so the there will be a lot of work looking at how we ensure that you know we're running safely um, and how the vehicle will react to those kind of incidents. Um, I think there's quite a big kind of education campaign that, we, that we'll do. We will also work with people who use the vehicle and potential users to understand what their needs are. I mean, some of the things that, you know, uh, there's been a lot of work done over the UK that um, Zenzik have kind of 
started to pull together. And that's looking at things like safety. So, you know, if we're running overnight and there's no driver, how do we make sure that you feel safe if you go on there, on the on the vehicle? It may be that actually in the end, you're the only person, if they're smaller vehicles, the only person on the vehicle. And there is, you know, there is some way for you to communicate with a, you know, a call, not call center, but, you know, a virtual assistant who can, you know, monitor your safety. And if anything happens, obviously call the police. So we need to think really carefully about that. We also need to think really carefully about how uh, we make sure that everyone has equity of access, you know, that we deal with people with disabilities, that so make sure that they can access the vehicles as well. So there's a lot to think about, you know, we'll be doing a lot of engagement work with different groups, we're doing a lot of engagement work with the kind of public to make sure that they, you know, understand what we're trying to do and we get good feedback as well so that we can kind of, you know, make sure that it's a really safe uh, experience for everyone who uses it. So are there other complementary activities that you're doing with regards to transport as well? We're really interested in how we can leverage uh, advances in data analytics, things like machine learning and AI to better manage the road network. So uh, in fact, it's a company that we started working with when they span out of the university, Viva City, uh, who developed a low-resolution camera solution which can uh, look into the environment and then count classifications of vehicles. So we've deployed their technology uh, in Cambridge on a number of specific projects, and then actually we've just done an at-scale deployment. So we've got about 60 of their cameras um, across Cambridge. All the processing happens on the edge. There's no kind of personal information that, uh, that leaves the camera. But what it does do is it gives us a count of about, I think we're up to about 22 different classifications. And it, that, that continues to expand as they train their um, machine learning models. So we can see scooters, bikes, cargo bikes, pedestrians, and then we count them so that we know how many people are kind of moving around the city. The next logical extension from that was actually, if we understand what's in the environment, can we better operate our traffic signals? Mm. Um, so we've got a pilot uh, in four different locations. We've just finished looking at an isolated location, and we're just about to go to um, three kind of junctions that follow each other to see whether we can gain efficiency, not just for vehicles moving through those junctions, but actually, more importantly, can we help uh, sustainable transport movements? So that's you know improving the pedestrian experience, the cycling experience through those junctions, or um, being able to give, give buses potentially priority through them as well. Um, so that's a piece of ongoing work. Um, we're also working with a company called Starling Technologies on East Road. So we just have a single crossing there. They're using the same sort of technology, but they can see whether there are a lot of people waiting at a crossing and can you extend the crossing time? Or actually, you know, is there somebody in a wheelchair who, you know, may not be able to cross as quickly as everyone else? Can you extend the the, the time and allow people to, to cross? Um, it also picks up things like jaywalking, so people who are crossing when they shouldn't be crossing, vehicles that are cross, crossing on red or amber lights, and not it's not a kind of an enforcement thing. <laughs> I'm like so, getting so, really nervous here. So what happens? So, so, Faye, you know? <laughs> so, so Faye, your name is on the list. Yeah. I'm sure uh, it in, is. In the council. That, uh, I'm sure it is for many reasons. I mean, you know, I, I think the thing that we we don't do is facial recognition uh, or using in that system number plate recognition at all. 
It's just about collecting data so that we understand what's going on and then that kind of helps us plan in the future. When we think about the innovation context of all of this, well, is that data being made available to like external companies and software developers so they can start to use this data in modeling their own products or doing their own kind of analysis of stuff? Yeah, so the County Council has an open data platform called Cambridgeshire Insights. We do publish the data on there. Uh, it tends to be in CSV files or you know Excel spreadsheets. So it, it's not the best way to share data. And actually, we're finding now that we've expanded the network, we've got a lot of data, yeah. and we are, we're struggling to kind of you know process it and draw insight and intelligence th right. uh, from it. And that's where we've just started working with a Cambridge company called Alkira, and we're using their data platform, which means that we can uh, automate that data being uploaded into the platform, and then actually we can automate the uploading of that data into tools such as Power BI, which the county council use quite a lot, but also open source tools like Kepler, which is a mapping tool. Um, and that's really important. So, you know, within the authorities, you know, operatives, people who are using or need to use data aren't necessarily data experts. You know, they're engineers, they're traffic planners, you know, whatever it is. We need to make it as easy as possible for those people to be able to draw intelligence and insight out of that data and give them the, the tools that they need so that they can use it for their for their kind of day-to-day -day work. And that's the work that we're doing with Alkira at the moment, starting on the Viva City data, but then also ingesting, you know, we're looking to ingest VoI data so that we can understand where scooter journeys are, um, you know, Potentially, we could ingest uh, parking data. There's there's all sorts of data that you know the city holds. Mm. At the moment, quite difficult to use because it's held in lots of different kind of silos, and you know. But by aggregating that into one place, we hope to make it easier. We, you know, where possible, we do make data open. Let's talk about GrowthWorks. It's the fully funded program that's supporting the leaders of ambitious growth businesses to scale and double their profits and productivity. If you're looking to take your business to the next step, GrowthWorks will support you to plan bigger, scale faster, and stay ahead of the game so you can deliver on both your financial and market share targets. Exclusively for businesses across Cambridgeshire and Peterborough, GrowthWorks is here to help you. Get started and arrange a call with them on www.growthworks.uk. So changing tack a little bit now, um, every episode so far seems to keep talking about Cambridge Tech Week. It's like the week that goes on and on and on. Um, you were actually on the Mobility and Connected World track. Um, just because we haven't heard anything about that track, what, what was it like? What were the key takeaways for you? So we, we had a great panel. We had the Connected Places Catapult, uh, who were chairing. We had um, Amazon, AWS, uh, their uh, Smart Cities lead. Uh, there was us, and then it was great to have Alkira there who we're working with, and, and they were talking about their data platform, and there was also Kaigen. The, you know, the key kind of topic was actually around data, so a, a lot of the things that we've been talking about, you know, how can we as cities um, understand what data we have, and then, you know, how can we use that data? draw insight and intelligence from it. What are the new technologies that are coming down the track that we could use to, you know, better interrogate that? Um, it wasn't mentioned there, but obviously, you know, there's a lot of 
interest around things like natural language processing, chat GPT, which is the, you know, the big big thing at the moment. But actually, what we're quite interested in is, you know, we have all these tools to interrogate data, but actually, if you could just ask it a, a plain language question, and it answered you in something that was understandable, that would be really helpful for us. So there was a lot of talk about data. There was some discussion around the kind of ethics of deploying technology in the city. There was a question about whether if you're deploying technology in the city and the outputs from it are negative, then how do you as a city manage that? And the actual example was around the use of technology on charging zones. Um, but actually, you know, I, I don't think that that is a technology problem. That is around policy and strategy. And, you know, it's the technology is kind of agnostic. Yeah, I guess negative is only in the context of additional charges, right? And, and again, you know, that depends on your point of view. I was in London last week and I forgot to pay the congestion charge. So I'm very sore about that at the moment. Mm, that's what you get when you go to the palace, you know. But <laughs> yes. we, we won't do any name dropping there. <laughs> Don't do we? that. You know. Move on swiftly. <laughs> so you mentioned um, that you're involved in developing this innovation perspective. A whole bunch of questions are springing to mind. Um, but why don't you give us the big picture in terms of what you're trying to achieve with that by, I think you said, turning Cambridge into a test bed for technology. That sounds, I'm sure, very exciting for a lot of our listeners that might be interested in, you know, reaching out and trying to get involved. Yeah, sure. So we've been fairly unstructured in the way that we've worked with businesses and academics um, in the past. You know, we have done a lot of work with uh, startups, uh, companies, with people from uh, Cambridge University and Anglia Ruskin University. Um, but it tends to be, you know, I meet them at an event or, you know, we come across each other somehow or they connect with me on LinkedIn and then we have a conversation. And, you know, very often those conversations don't result in anything, but sometimes they do. And, you know, we end up doing something in the city. What this is all about is putting some structure around it. So pointing people to a resource which says, look, these are our big challenges. This is what we're working on at the moment. Come and help us uh, use the city as a test bed so you can test your products. We can kind of understand the benefit of that. And then, you know, hopefully from there we can kind of form a relationship. Or we, you know, we work with people on funding bids, particularly Innovate UK funding bids. We've we partnered on, on those before. Uh, we partnered on academic uh, grants as well. So, you know, we are open to working with people. I think we're kind of focused on transport because that's our area. Because of the kind of resource issues, it'd be great to work with everyone, but I think we need to focus down on the challenges that we've yeah. got. But we are talking to the other council. So we're talking to the city council and the county council about how we could potentially join all this up so that we take a much more kind of joined up view on innovation and we work much more closely together as well. How, I mean, where there's a, a need to put something into the built environment, like a, a sensor or a vehicle or something, I'm guessing there's only a certain amount of these trials or, or you know, or pilots you can run because, you know, there's a limit to what the actual city can bear in terms of the physical environment. How are you approaching kind of, the prioritization of who you work with or how you assess the opportunities that are presented to you 
or am I wrong? Is that assumption wrong? You know, is there is there a bottleneck there? I think you're right. And obviously what we wouldn't want is 10 smart traffic signal pilots, which, you know, through the city into chaos. So we do, you know, we do have a framework that we're developing that we will kind of look at, uh, at that opportunity or, you know, the conversation that we're having and say, right, you know, are we already testing that in the city? Is the capacity to test it anymore? And if there isn't, then obviously, you know, we, we we may not work with that person. That doesn't mean that that will end there. You know, we've got really good links with other cities. So what we have done before is we've said, look, you know, we're, we're already doing this here, but then we'll uh, pass them on to Oxford or, you know, one of the other kind of cities that we know really well. And there may be opportunities uh, for them to work with those cities. Um, we look at other things like, you know, uh, do they take cybersecurity seriously? Because we don't want them, you know, putting stuff in the city, which could be, you know, could mean that we're leaking data or or is open to kind of cyber attack, uh, you know, are they an ethical company that are doing something ethical? We wouldn't want, you know, someone to come in and do something that that we were uncomfortable with. We look at the kind of data flows, how they're handling data as well. So, yeah. you know, th there is a kind of a way that we assess who we work with and who, yeah. we, who we don't work with. But, you know, I think that big thing is that, you know, this is a really great opportunity to work with a local authority to understand actually you know, what the business cases behind local authority investments are, how how local authorities invest, what are the procurement processes, you know, how can you work with a local authority? Because we often, you know, come across companies who are developing products that they want to sell to cities, but just don't really understand how cities work, yeah. how government works, how city budgets work, how procurement works. And I think that can be really invaluable for a small company. So two quick follow-ups, if I may. I'm looking at Faye. I guess there's more flexibility on the software side of things rather than the physical environment. Are you interested in how people can take those data sets that you have and, you know, augment them with other data sources and create really insightful data sets and, and uncover insights that you may not previously have been aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we'd be really interested in that. Um, we've done a lot of work with the kind of academic community. So we did actually build, uh, well, we didn't build, but the University of Cambridge built a data platform for us. And um, it's been used a lot by researchers who have, you know, built some really interesting tools. Um, we've actually used some of the tools to use bus journeys as a kind of a proxy for, you know, traffic density, for travel times. Yeah. So, you know, uh, having... Some of those tools that allow us to kind of gain insight and intelligence in that data would be really, really useful. And, you know, we only know what we know, and I'm sure that there are companies who are doing some, you know, really interesting, amazing things that we've not even thought of yet. So, yeah, it would be great to work with them. I think the other area that we're really interested in that we've done some work with the university on is around digital twins. So, you know, at the moment, the way that we kind of model and plan cities tends to be in silos. You know, we we have transport models and um, we might then have an air quality model. Yes, they may kind of join together, but, you know, there will be the National Grid or uh, UKPN will have a model of the power networks and then, you know, water will have a model. And we don't really understand the interrelationships between all those things. And actually, if you bring them together into one environment, can you better plan and understand how things relate to each other? Yeah. So, for instance, the project that we did with the university around digital twins, we looked at travel networks, we looked at connectivity, and also demographics and people's propensity to work from home, depending on their jobs and, and socioeconomic groups. And then the question was, would it be cheaper to put broadband into a village so people can work from home than them kind of 
to put in, you know, transport infrastructure so that they can drive out. So there's a whole load of kind of interesting things that you can start to do then. You touched on, you know, the kind of way of doing business is sometimes complex and procurement processes are quite long and uh, bureaucratic. So is there also a big chunk of work on the back end of things in terms of how you improve processes, make it easier to do business with smaller, maybe riskier, in quotes, startups? I know central government made big improvements with things like G Cloud. Is that something that kind of you're looking to do at a local level? We do use G Cloud and I have to say it has revolutionized yeah. our procurement processes. I mean, it's, it's it's a great way of, of procuring. Um, you know, that doesn't mean to say that there's not a, you know, a rigorous kind of process that goes behind it. But, but yeah, it does make things a lot easier. I mean, what we found through pr- traditional procurement routes is it's quite difficult to get the, the kind of the cutting edge product you want. Because as soon as you start going, going down a traditional procurement route, you know, we've had uh, kind of companies that aren't doing very innovative things that we work with before and, you know, have completely undercut the kind of new entrants into the market who are doing some really interesting things. And we've got a product that actually we're not that happy with, but we had to go with them because of the procurement process. So uh, I think, you know, trying to innovate in the procurement space, use some of those frameworks. And there's also something called an innovation procurement process, um, which Oxfordshire have used where you can, uh, you go through a, a, a kind of a procurement process for a trial. And then on the back of that trial, you can have two or three people trialing their technology. You can then move to a full procurement, which kind of cuts down on your, you know, the, the kind of normal pain of, of procurement. But it is a really difficult issue and thing to do. I mean, risk is interesting. So, you know, managing risk in organisations that are very risk averse can be really difficult as well. It's public sector, it's not private sector money. So you have to go through that level of, of diligence as well. Of course. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's great to hear, you know, using tech in so many different ways and even even maybe a bit of joined up thinking across the region would be would be awesome. And the good thing is you've showcased Cambridge businesses there that you're already working with, spin-outs from the university, et cetera, but also other national, international companies, which is great. Um, how do people find out more? So the Innovation Prospectus will be going up on uh, greatcambridge.org.uk or you can email us at smart.cambridge at cambridgeshire.gov.uk. That's great. Thank you very much for your time, Dan. No, thank you. Really interesting. In this week's news, we have three updates, an exciting new company, an interesting acquisition, and a reminder to book for a not-to-be-missed event in Cambridge. First up, Monumo, whose vision is to revolutionise electric motor technology, has now raised more than £10 million in two funding rounds and is set to launch a Series A this autumn to raise considerably more. The technology uses machine learning and AI technology to create high-performance electric motors that are more efficient in every way, from cost through to weight, recyclability and energy use. You may not have heard of Monimo, and that's because the company has been operating in semi-stealth mode for the last year or so, but it's now broadening its horizons and ramping its progress accordingly. With its base in Cambridge for its software team, Monimo has just opened an office in Coventry, to take advantage of regional links to the automotive industry and to have direct connections with the University of Warwick. It's already having high-level talks with potential end-users for its products and is close to striking its first deal, so definitely one to watch. 
The second piece of news is that Cambridge-headquartered Trustonic has acquired leading Latin American mobile device locking provider Citic for an undisclosed sum. Trustonic says the acquisition extends the company's lead as the world's biggest global smartphone locking provider. Initially created from a joint venture between Arm, Gemalto and G&D, Trustonic has 120 patents registered, a rich intellectual property creation, and the highest certifications in the cybersecurity industry. Trustonic is on a mission to solve Android device affordability and delinquency for its customers globally. Its telecoms platform service has successfully reduced device payment delinquency and bad debt by up to 70% in multiple markets. This performance is achieved through sophisticated messaging and device locking capability, which nudges customers to pay their bills on time. It's now operational across 20 countries and Trustonic has expanded its global reach, growing devices protected by over 200% year on year. And finally, it's time to plan your schedule for the Cambridge Wide Open Day on the 14th of June. There are now 60 participating venues and companies, including most of the major science parks from the north to the south of the city and everything in between, and an array of life science and technology organisations. They're all opening their doors to the community, from interested parties, scientists, through to school children. And they can all participate in tours, workshops, demos and presentations running throughout the day. It's a fantastic way to see what's happening across Cambridge for everyone, and you can literally design your own day. To register and find out more, please go to cambridgewideopenday.com. Join us next week when we'll be talking with Matt Gooding, who is editor at Tech Monitor. Today's show was produced by Carl Homer of Cambridge TV and supported by our media partner, Business Weekly. The Cambridge Tech Podcast is available on all major podcast platforms and on cambridgetechpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star review. It will really help others discover the show.